Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock, lead pastor of Harvest Bible Church in Windsor, Ontario. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Yeoman, and today's title is Ethics of Civil Disobedience, Full Disclosure, and Taxation. And in this episode, we're going to discuss a series of issues that Christians may be facing or may face in the future that might present them with ethical dilemmas. We live in a society that's increasingly bent towards statism, totalitarianism, coercion, and segregation, as I'm sure you're all aware. And this is providing challenges for Christian people to find jobs. It's forcing them to disclose information that they don't want to disclose. Uh, It's presenting them with ethical conundrums about the basic safety of their children and their responsibilities to the state in terms of taxation. And so these are just a variety of things that we're going to be discussing on today's podcast. And I'm sure it's going to be very informative for those of you uh, that maybe haven't fully thought through ethical systems and whatnot. And so, Aaron, today we are talking about some very weighty issues that might be controversial for Christians to think through. And so can you explain that a bit? Yeah. So... Most of my listenership, I suspect, are people with um, a pretty, pretty strong moral compasses. They love God. They love the Word of God. They have a, a real sensitive conscience to rightness and wrongness, and that's a good thing. But but as I've read Scripture over the years and counseled people and pastored and even assessed my own life. It's easy as Christians to sort of fall into this really like rigid black and white sort of categories. When I'm not talking about, obviously we want to be black and white when it comes to our doctrine of salvation and the Trinity of God and the the triunity of God, the virgin birth, the second coming, these sorts of things. Like there's certain things that are just true and certain things that are false. But when we talk about ethics, we talk about morals and how we should respond to things. I actually think there's a lot of naivety in the Christian church. And we often have um, categories in our mind that are very black and white that aren't actually black and white in scripture. So the scriptures I would say are often black and white in their precepts precepts and their principles, but the scriptures are also black and white in that they're often gray. So grayness is also black and white in scripture. This is uh, confusing. <laughs> and uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit. So there's there's times in scripture where the Bible is is categorical that things aren't as cut and dried as we might otherwise mm-hmm. think. So this these discussions that we're going to have today, I think, is are probably going to make some of my more purest friends, some of my more black and white friends feel a little bit uncomfortable. But I want to preface my comments by saying the things we're going to talk about today are very relevant to what's happening in the world and what might be happening in the near future. I want to say straight up that as Christians, it is our goal, our desire as best as possible to live at peace with all men. And I I also would say that we want to be model citizens and historically Christians have been model citizens. We are the ones that pay our taxes. We're the ones that produce children that contribute to the economy. 
You know, we're the ones that uh, often go into law enforcement. Uh, we're the ones that refuse to remain silent and evil. We're the ones that give the largest portion of our income to charitable causes. And this is a good thing. And we, we would we would like to be able to continue to do that. But in the current regime that we're living under, it's increasingly difficult uh, to even be permitted to be a contributing member to society. We're being segregated. We're being treated unfairly. And so we're being presented by the state, not from our own uh, efforts, but by the state, we're being forced to respond in a way that we're maybe not used to. Mm-hmm. And so I want to kind of talk to people today about what are some of the 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 ethical dilemmas that we're facing and how should we respond? So if someone comes for our kids, is it right to push back? If someone refuses us work, how do we deal with the taxation implications of that? If someone asks us for information that they have no business asking us, do we have to fully disclose uh, the, the truth, the, wh- the full truth and nothing but the truth to them. So these are the things I want to talk about today. And I, I know right well, this is going to be controversial, but hopefully it'll be uh, informative as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure it will be inherently biblical uh, as we continue to think, take these issues back to scripture as well as we consider these things. Um, so what do we mean by ethical dilemmas? And what are the basic ethical systems that people often appeal to when making decisions? And they may unconsciously appeal to these decisions, but these are the basic basic, uh, ethical systems. So picture a stool. This is the illustration that I, I like to use. You picture a stool that has three legs on it. And one of the legs uh, is theology, which is the content of our faith. One of the legs is apologetics, which is the defense of our faith. And one of the legs is ethics, which is the practice of our faith, morals. How, how shall we then live? And these are the three legs that hold up the stool upon which we sit. So we're all sitting on a theological system. Uh, we're all sitting on an apologetic system. We're all sitting on an ethical system. And in the Christian church, we, we're pretty good at talking about our theology we were maybe not so good at apologetics in general, but that's an important aspect, being able to give a defense for the hope that you have with gentleness and respect. Peter taught the early church that. But then we have ethics, sort of the practical outworkings of our faith. How should I live? How should I respond, think, act, and feel to the circumstances that I find myself in? Now, when we talk about right and wrong or ethical decisions, there are some systems, some ethical systems that we need to outright reject. So I want to sort of identify those. These are um, systems that are not founded or grounded in the Christian Bible and have no place in Christian discussions about right and wrong, about moral absolutes, et cetera. So let me just throw out a few of them. Um, I I wrote down in my notes here five. So the one would be antinomianism, meaning anti-law. The antinomian ethical system would say that everything in the world is in a state of change and there there are no laws that govern behavior. So we're like, eh, we reject that. There are laws. God has given us laws. So we're going to reject that antinomian approach. Uh, we're also going to reject relativism. So a relativistic approach to ethics says there there is right and wrong, but it's sort of up to the individual to decide their own laws and then live by them. So lo- truth is relative to you. We're like, eh, no, we don't agree with that. God decides what's right and wrong, not the creature. 
Then there's an emotional approach to ethics, which is sort of like, ah, if it feels good, do it. And if it doesn't feel good, don't do it. So this is pretty dominant, especially among young people, which <laughs> tend to be a little more hedonistic. They're not exclusively hedonistic, but young people do tend to be driven by their, their feelings a little bit more than older folks. And we would reject that. Right and wrong is not determined by just what you feel. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have situational ethics, which is pretty bad too. Situational ethics says right and wrong varies from situation to situation. So in this situation, it's wrong. In this situation, it's right. And the situation determines the, the rightness or wrongness of the action, not the eternal God that exists outside of the situation and tells us what's right and wrong based upon his moral character. So we're, we're not situational ethicists either. And I want to emphasize that because some of the things I'm going to say in a few minutes might lead people to think, oh, Aaron Rock's a situational ethicist. I am absolutely not a situational eth ethicist. I think there is right and wrong. And that's that. And then there's a utilitarian approach to ethics, which basically says, just do whatever works. So if the outcome works for you, kind of that utilitarian approach, then it's valid. So we're going to say a big old X to all of those ethical systems. But then there's essentially about three, I would say, um, valid sort of Christian ethical systems. Now, I, I favor one over the other, others, but... I'm not going to say to someone, you know, you're you're a heretic or you're absolutely wrong or you're you're not a Christian if you if you buy into these ethical systems. The first one is probably the dominant one, but I don't think it's robustly biblical. And it would be called like a, it's often called by ethicists an unqualified ethical absolutist approach. And the idea there is there's there's no qualifications to right and wrong. There is a strict code in the Bible of rights and wrongs. People are presented with these things. They're confronted by them, and you absolutely have to follow them. So when you're, when you're given a decision to make, there's always a right response. There's never going to be a dilemma. You're never going to have to pick the greater evil or the, the lesser evil over the greater evil, the greater good over the lesser good. It's always going to be just black and white. Life is right. There's, there's, there's the right path and there's the wrong path. Mm -hmm. I think that's very problematic, especially with um, some biblical examples that I want to share momentarily. But if someone holds to that, I'm not going to say they're, you know, they're a heretic again. I'm going to say, okay, I get it. I understand that. That's probably how I thought more when I was younger. And as you live your life, you realize that um, that's not necessarily helpful. And it's certainly not strictly biblical. So another system would be uh, what's called a conflicting absolute approach to ethics. And the idea there is that sometimes ethical choices or moral choices will conflict. And in circumstances like that, you, you, you should choose the lesser evil, but you're still guilty of a sin and you're in need of forgiveness. So let's just use the classical ethical dilemma. The Nazi knocks at your door, you're hiding Jews upstairs. Are there Jews in your house? A conflicting absolutist would say, well, you have a moral responsibility to 
not disclose the truth. So you, you say, no, there's no Jews in my house. And the Nazis leave and you've saved the Jews. But under this system, they would say, you've still sinned in not fully disclosing the truth and you need to ask God for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, if I could apply that illustration to the previous system, which is sort of that, that absolutist approach, they would say, fully disclose the truth. Yep, there's Jews in my attic. Come, you know, and then just let them respond however they want, right? Mm-hmm. So the black and white is like, uh, it's it's always, you, you always have to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth when you're asked. There's never gonna be a conflict. There's never gonna be a situation where, where you have to withhold truth or tell what's often called a justifiable lie. You You simply tell the truth, the whole truth and just let the chips fall where they may. So that's the first approach. The second is, no, you don't tell the full truth to the perpetrator because we, you know they're going to use it for greater evil, but you're still sinning. Mm-hmm. Okay, so those are the two, the, the first two. And I, and I think a lot of Christians hold to those. But I would hold to what I would call a graded moral approach. Now, in, in formal apology, uh, ethics, it's often called a graded absolutist approach. I'm not super comfortable with that language just because when you say absolute, I mean, an absolute's either an absolute or it's not an absolute. Uh, so I prefer like a graded moral or graded ethical approach. And the, and the basic idea there is that, uh, first of all, all moral laws are traced to God's character, God's attributes. Which are which are uh, absolute, without exception. But there are times in life in a broken world where conflicts between moral choices are resolved by understanding that there are are exceptions to moral laws when they come into conflict with one another. So there are times in life when you're basically confronted with two bad options. It's like, I have two bad options. Do I say yes to the Nazi and in a sense, find myself complicit in giving truth to someone who I know is going to use it for great and heinous evil to take life? Or do I say, no, I don't believe this person deserves the truth. They, they have no business asking me the question. Um, they're an evil person, they're a sinister individual, I will not give them the truth. I will not disclose the truth to them. Now, someone call that lying. Okay, fine. If you want to call it lying, call it a justifiable lie. I would say it's more of an issue of not disclosing the truth. And so we have this issue of justified deception, which, which by the way, people are very comfortable with when it comes to like undercover agents, mm-hmm. espionage, yeah. Uh, where uh, in war, where, um, you know, armies will deliberately deceive the other side to make it look like they have more tanks or, you know, they, they build fake artillery guns or camouflage, camouflage. (laughs) Yeah. So by the way, everybody who wears camouflage actually believes in justifiable deception. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, and I say that sort of tongue in cheek, but there's a sense of which you are you know, you're deceiving the deer, you're deceiving the moose you're hunting, right. <laughs> <laughs> or a soldier's deceiving the enemy. When you wear camouflage, you are trying to 
put yourself in a position where you don't disclose something that's going to put you at a disadvantage. So in the graded moralistic approach, the our responsibility, we believe, is to uh, choose the lesser evil over the greater evil. And in the process of doing so, one does not sin. One's not culpable. Mm-hmm. One doesn't need to ask forgiveness for choosing the lesser sin. So, for example, if if there was a situation where you had to pick, so we're called to love God, right? And we're called to love man. So love for man might be expressed, let's say, in, um, you know, kindness, um, provision, uh, protection of life, um, mercy, um, telling the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. But if you were, if you could find, if you were in a situation where you you were forced to pick between loving God and loving man, you would pick loving God over loving man mm-hmm. because loving God is the higher um, ethical responsibility. Or, you know, we talked a lot about this obedience to God over obedience to the state. So in general, we want to obey the state. But sometimes we're like, yeah, we're not going to obey the state. You've transgressed your sphere of authority. You don't have authority in that area. You're asking us to do something that we can't agree with, we can't comply to. So we're going to pick obedience to God over obedience to the state, even though in general, we kind of like to be obedient to both. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, m- mercy is often greater than, than um, uh, you know, veracity. So some examples of this would be the Hebrew midwives. So this is a classic example. Mm-hmm. The Hebrew midwives did not tell the truth. They actually deceived, willfully, knowingly deceived the Egyptians by telling them, oh, Hebrew women are very vigorous. They just they just give birth before we show up mm-hmm. because they, they were sort of supposed to ex- start executing some of the babies, right? Or Rahab's lies in uh, Joshua chapter two. It's the first incident, Exodus one, but this is Joshua two where Rahab willfully and knowingly tells a justifiable lie mm-hmm. to the leaders of Jericho in order to allow the Hebrew Jewish um, spies to escape. And neither of them are condemned for that. In fact, Rahab ends up in the, you know, the, the hall of faith in the book of Hebrews as a, a righteous Gentile who ultimately is included in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. And the Hebrew midwives, I believe God, scripture says that uh, God rewarded them with families of their own. Right. And so indicating their action was commended. Yeah. So one would think if they were, so just because an event's described in the scriptures doesn't mean it's right, but if it's described and it's wrong, then the author generally tells us it's wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't, you don't do something, oh, that's wrong, and then reward the person for it. So they were, they did the right thing there. They recognized that the, the wicked Egyptian officials wanted to slaughter children. Mm-hmm. And they were not going to be complicit in that. So they deceived them in order to save life. So uh, this, this notion, well, just tell the truth. Anytime someone asks me a question, I got to tell them. You know, they're in a position of authority or whatever. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. We don't do that in war. Uh, we don't expect detectives to do that when they're trying to bust some heinous gang that's killing people, committing mm-hmm. homicidal acts. Um, and we certainly uh, don't 
provide information to tyrants that are going to use that to destroy people's lives out of some misguided notion that, oh, we just got to sort of you know, let go and let God tell the truth, give them all the information and just, you know, hope that God somehow works a miracle. Mm -hmm. That's very ignorant. And it's, it's not, it's not actually taught in scripture. Mm -hmm. What you're describing here sounds to me like the, the final piece of education that a lot of parents don't want to give their children. Cause when they're young, they teach <laughs> yeah. them do not lie. And I wouldn't teach my kids a graded absolutist approach where, or a graded moral, uh, a graded morals approach because then they might think there's a time to lie to mom and dad. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's almost like this, this part of our education that's messy and complex and hard. Yeah. We, we tend to, we tend in our, in our moral education to start off very black and white. And, but we, and we understand why, because kids can't think through the complexities of these moral decisions. But if we're actually going to have a robust biblical theology of truth telling, we have to talk about Exodus 1. We have to talk mm -hmm. about Joshua chapter 2 mm -hmm. and um, allow people to, to use those situations for um, forming uh, an, an ethical moral approach to the dilemmas that we face in culture that's actually grounded in scripture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think these systems, when we're going to get into some very practical issues in just a moment, but these systems are so helpful because they put it back to a principled approach rather than one of those first ones where it was a, an emotional approach to ethics where you do what feels good or a utilitarian approach. And so when we're applying this graded ethical approach to some practical issues, that requires obviously discernment. And so we have three or four topics we're going to discuss. And so this first one, I think a lot of people will relate to in one way or another. And that's this, A, I'm being denied employment. Can I work under the table? What's your uh, approach to that? And how would you frame that up? So full disclosure, I've always been uh, a tax paying citizen. I have always taught people that I'm opposed to working under the table. I think people have a responsibility to, to declare their income, to pay their taxes, you know, to keep good records. I don't necessarily think that taxes are being used properly. Um, in the Roman world, you know, when we're told to render to Caesar, you know, people were paying about 1% tax of their income, we're told. And, uh, you know, now we have people paying 45, 50% of their income in the form of taxes. And then when they t have their take home pay, then they're paying HST and all sorts of fees. So the tax rate is pretty, pretty bad in, in Canada and in many Western countries. And uh, one good way of thinking about taxes though, is under normal circumstances to think of them as like prepaid bills. So if, if money's being taken off your paycheck and you're like, oh, why do I have to pay taxes? Well, let's not forget you're paying for policing, you're paying for fire, you're paying for health, you're paying for roads, you're paying for military. So you're, they're like prepaid taxes. It's, it's not true that all your taxes are just being taken and squandered. But Christians are right to be concerned about taxation when they see it being used to fund abortions, transgender surgeries, um, tyranny, this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I want my listeners to be clear. I am a tax-paying citizen and I've always had a, a sensitivity to that. And I've always encouraged people to pay their taxes mm -hmm. under normal circumstances. I would encourage people to pay their taxes. I've actually confronted people for working under the table. Mm -hmm. However, 
in the current environment, this is starting to happen. People are wrestling with this scenario. So let's suppose a person is literally forced out of the workforce and they're, they're disallowed from working. And, you know, right now there's still some opportunities for people who've been forced out of their jobs, but the time could come where literally, if you don't have the vaccine or you don't agree with whatever the LGBTQ to whatever agenda that they could say, you, you are not employable in Canada. So what are my options? I have a responsibility. I have a greater responsibility under God to feed my family. Mm-hmm. He who does not provide for his own, the Bible says, is worse than an infidel. I don't know of any place in the scripture that says he who doesn't honor Caesar is worse than an infidel. But he who does not provide for his own is worse than an infidel. So it's, it's like a damnable sin under normal circumstances for, let's say, a father not to provide for his children. We've actually put people under church discipline, one man in particular many years ago who wasn't paying child support. It's like, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. You're spending money on all this and you're not paying child support. We're putting you under church discipline. We're treating you like an infidel because that's how you're acting. But let's suppose in the current milieu or in the near future, a Christian man is forced out of the workforce and his only option is to work under the table outside of the tax system. Should that man feel guilty because he's not paying taxes? I would say absolutely not. I'd say have at it. And my reason for that is because it's the state that has denied you a, a most basic creational right. We are we are mandated by God to work six days and rest on the seventh. That's the biblical pattern and commandment. So if a person is in a situation where they're like, well, I I can't work under the table because that's sort of outside of the tax system and, um, but my family's starving, but you know, I'm just gonna have to let my family starve because I wanna make sure I'm a tax paying citizen. I would say that's a ridiculous response. Mm-hmm. If you're in a situation where the state has disallowed you a most fundamental human right to work and your only alternative is to participate in an underground economy, have at it. Mm-hmm. So and what, who's, who's ultimately responsible for that? The state. Mm-hmm. The state is actually robbing itself of taxes by firing all these people who don't want to get vaccinated. It's, mm-hmm. it's a ridiculous economic move. They're firing people who are um, you know, unable to capitulate. By the way, what's interesting about this, just so people understand, is a lot of these sleazy companies are offloading the um, acceptance or rejection of, of uh, religious creedal exemptions to, to third-party companies because they don't want to take responsibility for it. Then what they're doing is they're putting people on unpaid leave, mm-hmm. which means you're basically not working. And if you don't provide your proof of vaccination in eight weeks or 12 weeks, you're fired. But there's a couple stipulations to that. So we're putting you on unpaid leave. Secondly, you don't qualify, you don't qualify for EI, um, employment insurance, something you actually paid for. You paid for employment insurance, but you don't qualify for it. And if you dare try to find another job, we'll outright fire you. Mm-hmm. Well, if someone in a situation like that's like, well, I, I'm, I'm trapped and I have children to feed or a mortgage to pay and they find work under the table, I would have absolutely no problem with that. There'd be no moral ethical dilemma. Now, as soon as possible, you want to if circumstances change, you want to go back to the norm. Mm-hmm. But but that's how I would respond to a situation like that. And the fault is purely on the state for disallowing 
let's say a man, a breadwinner, to do what God has actually commanded him to do, which is work and to provide for his family. Mm -hmm. So it's abnormal. So to be clear, under normal circumstances, we pay our taxes. We may not like them. You know, we may, uh, it's, it's probably wise to, to, you know, to vote for people that um, have a more ethical approach to taxation. Mm -hmm. And it's right for us to voice our concerns to folks who are spending our money on things they shouldn't be spending it on. But um, in extreme circumstances, sort of tax revolts and stuff like that are, are means of, um, you know, communicating something to a state that otherwise isn't listening or is abusing their authority and their power over the people they've been entrusted to care for. Mm -hmm. And I think when you boil it down to a very, uh, a very simple circumstance, i.e. your child is starving and in order for that child to live another hour, you need to steal bread. There's no other way you would steal bread. Yeah. And we no no person would fault you for that. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's not the ideal, yeah. but that's the the moral absolutes. Or this stuff has happened to Western culture. So, you know, in, in England years ago, um, you know, when the, the noblemen were sort of running, this is even back like, let's say uh, 200 years ago when the nobility was still sort of running the country and there was like this gap between the nobles and the, you know, the tenant farmers. You know, you'd have these people that are literally starving to death and they go and steal a loaf of bread and the state would hang them. Mm -hmm. It's disgusting. You don't hang a man for stealing a loaf of bread from his master who maybe isn't paying him so that he can feed his family. Mm -hmm. And um, I actually think there's great moral evil uh, in, in the claim that a person who's committing such an act is actually sinning. Mm -hmm. So the purest, oh, you should never sin. Just trust in the Lord for your daily bread. You know, pray the Lord's prayer. I actually think you're sinning against the victim by making that claim because when, when the state or people in positions of power abuse their authority and are complicit in grave evil against the citizens and the citizens rise up and have to act in a way that's not normally how they would act, you know, I, I would fully commend that. Mm -hmm. Okay, here's another scenario that people might be facing. I have a vax passport, a vaccine passport. Is it okay to use it to access social and employment opportunities? Well, f flat out, vax passports are immoral. And I don't know how anybody could argue otherwise. Vax passports are immoral. And here's why. I mean, there's many reasons why. We know why they're there. You have to be a total dunce not to acknowledge that the, a vax passport is not a medical response to a dangerous virus. We've seen that as we've observed the, the responses and the rationale of politicians. Vax passports are for one reason, one reason only, to punish the noncompliant and to force people against their consciences to capitulate. That's why they are there. Don't try, to, don't try to equate these to, you know, a yellow fever vaccination certificate that you need to enter some foreign country, you know, as a missionary. That's not the reason. The, the reason is not to protect the population. The reason is to force for, for uh, in order to, um, for, to score points politically and also to capitulate to the, the lobbyists to force people to do something against their conscience. And by the way, 
let me just make a bold statement. When you study, and, and I know in, there's, there's different eschatological systems and no one, you know, people have different views on what the mark of the beast is in uh, Revelation 13, 17. So I'm not saying the vax passwords the mark of the beast, but in principle, it's the same thing because it, the, the mark of the beast in Revelation 13, 17 is a mark. And again, a lot of debate of what that is or was depending on your eschatological system, but you get that mark so you can buy or sell. So the, the, the leverage being used against the citizenry by the beast, which represents the, the wicked world order and the, 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 the antichrist figure, the, the beast manipulates the citizenry to do what it wants by hitting you in the pocketbook, mm -hmm. by hitting you in the pocketbook. So when I hear Christians say, well, I don't want to get the vaccine. It's against my conscience, but I'm going to get it because I have to work. I would say to you, brother or sister, you actually are sinning. If you are actually violating your conscience in order to keep your job, that is capitulating to the very thing that is being warned about in Revelation 13, 17. You cannot do that. You have to find an alternative means. And if you, so what I'm not, okay, so just to be super clear, I'm not saying someone who's vaccinated has received the mark of the beast. I don't believe that. I believe in liberty of conscience. I, I think people should explore the evidence, talk to physicians that actually know what they're talking about and make a decision. I have a personal opinion on this particular vaccine. I am not an anti-vaxxer. I'm not particularly keen on this vaccine. I think there's there's a huge problem with, with uh, lack of liability by the manufacturers. I think there's a boatload of um, uh, question marks around its efficacy. It seems to work for the most part temporarily and then sort of peter out very quickly. I, I'm very concerned that there's a lot of censorship involved in, from scientists or physicians that are uh, sort of saying, hey, yeah, but let's just tap the brake here a little bit. Let's, okay, so, so maybe if we give the vaccine to the, the, the society's most vulnerable who are already on their deathbeds anyway, maybe there could be an argument for that. But this notion of essentially coercively forcing it upon populations that are not going to die of COVID-19, mm -hmm. young, healthy, robust people, there's a ton of ethical questions around this. And so I think Christians should be asking a lot of questions. But in, 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 in general, just in principle, I'm not going to say if you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, you're more spiritual or less spiritual. But I am going to say straight up that if you do not think you should get it, you don't want it, you're, you're, you're opposed to it, you, you feel uncomfortable with it, you, you feel uncomfortable with the use of fetal cells in modern medicine and, and all that, but you're like, well, I'm going to get it anyway because, well, I got to keep my job, and you know, feed my family. I would say you've, you've sinned. You've sinned against your own conscience and the devil has you right where he wants you. Mm -hmm. But that's the vaccine issue. The passports are innately segregationist. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the black bus, the white bus, the black water fountain, the white water fountain. It's not medically driven. It's segregationist. It's manipulative. So the Bible's very clear on this. We, we do believe in medical segregation. 
We do believe in that. Mm-hmm. If someone has a contagious disease and they're showing symptoms, stay home. Mm-hmm. Okay, don't go to church when you got the stomach flu. Don't go to church if you have COVID-19. <laughs> do not do it. Stay home. Don't go to work if you have these things. It's very clear in scripture. It's very simple. So completely opposed to it, always opposed to it, forever will be opposed to it. It's a moral evil. It's a travesty. Now, this is where people are asking a lot of questions. Like, well, so let's say I I have the vaccine and I have a passport. Should I use it to go to work? Should I use it to go to the theater? Um, Is it okay for me to support a business that requires it? So my thinking on this is as follows. If under normal circumstances, outside of the fiasco that we're in, you have a piece of paper that says, I was vaccinated for A, B, and C, under normal circumstances. You just have a record of your vaccination status. And, um, you know, you're asked to show it to travel to some other country. It's not like you have an innate right to go to another country. It's not a human right for you to be able to travel to another nation. But if they're like, yeah, to get into our country, you need proof of vaccination for ABC. Well, then you have a choice to make. You're going to show your papers or not show your papers. I don't think there's anything morally wrong with a country requiring you to have a vaccine to enter into their country under normal circumstances. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing evil about having a record of your inoculations, in other words. Mm -hmm. But- We're not in normal circumstances. When that paperwork is being used against your fellow man to deny them employment, to deny them worship in their church, um, to deny them the ability to visit their dying mother in a nursing home, that's evil. And if you participate in that system, you are participating in evil against your fellow man. Now, if someone's like, you know, I, I have it, I'm just going to need my, my employer is demanding it. They're forcing me out. Okay. I would say that's a matter of conscience. My advice in that regard is to use it temporarily to maintain your employment for a limited period of time. If you already have one is fine, but I would be planning my exit strategy Hmm. because I, I, I would encourage every Christian. If you, if you are working for any employer that has demanded that you show your papers and you know it's for manipulative reasons. You know it's against your fellow man. I would be planning my exit strategy el quico, right? Mm-hmm. So if you've taken the vaccine, it's in accordance with your conscience. They're saying, show me your papers. You're like, okay, I'm, I'll show you my papers because I'm going to work here for another 60 or 90 days. But behind the closed doors, you're like, I'm, I'm planning my exit strategy. I think you're a wise person. Because if you think, I'm going to say this, if you think, listener, that by getting your vaccines, that you're safe, your employment is safe, you are out of the woods, you're a fool. Statists and total, statism and totalitarianism knows no bounds. There's going to be other things that come down uh, the road where they're going to force you to act contrary to your conscience. We are within, we are within I believe, in our nation, a hair's breadth mm-hmm. of Christian people being required to sign an absolute affirmation of the LGBTQ agenda Mm -hmm. in order to be employed by big corporations. 
So if you capitulate on this, I think you're going to capitulate on that. So plan your exit strategy. But for the sake of your neighbor, there is no valid reason for you to use your vaccine passport for things that are of, of much lesser importance than your um, uh, employment. So please, for the sake of your neighbor, stop using it in order to buy coffee. Stop using it in order to sit in Starbucks. Stop using it in order to sit in Tim Hortons. Stop using it in order to go to the movies. Stop using it in order to go out on a date to the to the to a restaurant. I will, I will not spend money uh, at establishments that require Vax passports. I won't do it. Now, if I was starving to death, and that's the only place I could go, I would break my rule. But to willfully go, people are like, well, I'm just, I just go through the drive-thru. So you're going through the drive-thru. You're still spending money at a place that segregates inside? No. Mm-hmm. I'm not driving through any drive-thru buying a hamburg, a fry, a coffee that segregates inside. They're not getting my money. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I actually have more money building up in my bank account because <laughs> I probably used to spend too much on such matters. So I would just say um, – this, uh, I understand that a lot of people don't think long-term about their actions. They tend to be short-term thinkers. But if you think you're out of the woods and you think, well, I'm just, I'm just going to kind of go along with it and bend and bow, uh, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot. And you may benefit in the short run, short-term, but in the long-term, you're going to be the one suffering more. The people that are actually most blessed are the people that are getting fired because um, – they're going to be they're going to be uh, well ahead of other people in terms of creating new employment opportunities, new jobs, finding jobs in sectors that don't require it. The people that are going to be, pardon my language, screwed, are those that are complying right now, thinking they're safe. No, you're not safe. They're going to come for you at some point in the future. It might be six months. It might be five years. They're going to come for you in the future and coerce you to do something against your conscience. And when you're tossed out of your job on your ear there's not going to be as many opportunities for you. So just think about that. Think about the long-term implications of your current decisions when you're making ethical choices. Mm -hmm. Very good. Okay. We got another one here. This one uh, might be the most controversial of all. Yeah. If the state forcibly took my property or my kids is physical resistance moral in a theoretical world. Well, you know, this is, this is an interesting question because um, there's also legal implications for it, mm-hmm. right? So my opponents would love to publish sound bites of me calling people to arms and you know this sort of thing. So I'm just going to keep this, um, you know, very simple. We as Christians will use all means possible to live peaceably with all men. That's our goal. We we are not a people that are into violence. I mean, there is some redemptive violence in the scriptures. Genesis 9, capital punishment for murderers, for example. That's the right thing to do. I'm a big proponent of capital punishment for people who have murdered others. The Bible's clear on that. And carried out by the state. And carried out by the state, not the church. Mm -hmm. So, Chris, that's not your job. That's not my job. You're not vigilante justice. So, we're advocates for peace. Um, Most of our battles are going to be word wars. So, we want to use every legal means, every verbal means, uh, every political means to maintain the peace. Nobody wants violence. You know, you got to be a pretty sick person to want violence. 
But when it comes to uh, defending your life or the life of your children or your sovereignty over the decisions, uh, your sovereignty over, for instance, medical choices for your children, if you have to defend yourself physically against people trying to attack you, steal your children, of course you can do that. There's there's no ethical problem with that at all. It's not going to feel good. There might be consequences for it because we live in a world that, um, you know, there's a there's from a practical perspective, if you resist physically, you're going to lose because mm-hmm. the state is a big machine. But from an ethical perspective, if if some tyrant comes into my house, now I don't have little children, but if I had little children and some tyrant came into my house and started snatching my children, I, I will attack him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will, I mean, I'm, I, I will attempt not to take life, but I, I would attack him. I would defend my children with my life. I have a responsibility to do that. How is it different if, so, if you're walking down the street and someone tries to snatch your kids mm-hmm. as opposed to whether some tyrant walks into your house and tries to snatch your kids because the state says so, mm-hmm. right? It's the same thing. If we don't understand that there's redemptive violence in scripture, does that mean the allied forces that actually invaded other sovereign nations in World War II in order to stand for justice and tyranny? Are they the bad guys? No. Would we view the the you know the Dutch resistance forces as the bad guys because you know they had underground uh, networks of people that were resisting murderers? No, we would say they were working outside the system for just causes. Mm-hmm. So of, of course there's this notion of redemptive violence in scripture. Now people often say, well, yeah, but the Bible says turn the other cheek, you know, carry, carry the burden and the extra mile, you know, this sort of thing. Yeah. That's not about, that's not about uh, passivity in the face of potential death. That's about, as Christians, we we do we are called to put up with personal offenses. It's offensive for someone to slap you on the on the cheek. It's not murderous for someone. To, nobody gets murdered by being slapped in the cheek, mm-hmm. but they do. They're it's offensive mm-hmm. if a Roman soldier under law says, "Hey, buddy, you're required to carry my backpack one mile," which you were. You're like, eh, "Okay, I'll carry it too." You know, you t- you take the higher the higher road. But if we, if our nation, and we're not, we're not there yet, but if our nation descended into the abyss to the point where they were snatching people's children or stealing people's property, um, Christian people need to think about that now, not then. Mm-hmm. Uh, study history, study the scriptures. Um, the, the idea of um, property rights and sovereignty over your own children is, is pretty clear in, in scripture. And if people were to try to take that, uh, resistance, which is a form of civil disobedience when, when all other methods have been exhausted, is very biblical. And um, so I, I would have no problem with that. And, and by the way, I have no problem with the state knowing that Christians think that way. Mm-hmm. The, the state should think twice when they try to walk onto a person's property and steal their children or force vaccinate, they should expect some physical resistance. It's a moral thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's not moral for us to go and, you know, start, start planning, uh, you know, assassinations because we don't like some bylaw that someone passed. You know, it's, it's not, it's not moral for us to go, 
you know, just beating people up, right? We're not talking about that. But when it comes to to defending yourself against murderers, against tyrants, against people that might steal your children, there's, there's no question about the fact that it's justifiable to resist that kind of wickedness. Now, I think all that you've said uh, has been very, very helpful. And the, the one principle I, I gather out of it is really this idea of thinking ahead because you need to figure out, first of all, which system you fall into, hopefully not one of those five former systems like right. really um, you know, emotionally ethics or utilitarian ethics, but hopefully fall into one of the, the Christian ethical responses, then thinking through possible scenarios and how you're going to respond. But then I think you've talked before a lot about strategy as well. Obviously, we don't want to be in a situation where we uh, find ourselves having to make that impossible decision between the two evils uh, or the, the very difficult decision. And so thinking long-term. So real quick, just as we finish up, can you speak to the value of thinking long-term? I know some Christians just do not naturally think long-term. They struggle to uh, think <laughs> six months down the road, less, yeah. much less five years. Um, and I know that's something you're, you're more gifted at. And so maybe you could speak to just some wise ways to start thinking that way. Well, history is always helpful. We have several thousand years of history behind us and spending time with people is helpful because from history and from spending time with people, we can, we can plot and track and anticipate human behavior. Now, if you're, if you're a widget and, widget and gidget guy and you know, your employment is such or your, your mindset is such that you just build things, you don't think much about these matters, then yeah, you might not be as prophetic, so to speak, in anticipating what is to come. But leaders have to be somewhat prophetic. And what we mean by that is that if you if you look at human behavior throughout history and even in recent times, it's not it's not that we can predict the future, but we can sort of anticipate where things are probably going. And as we look at what's going on in the world today, in Canada in particular, we we have now 20 months of sort of, if you think of a, a, a line and you put little dots on the line that represent events, you can sort of see what direction the line is going in. So you go from two weeks to flatten the curve to, to mandatory masks to let's get 70% vaccinated to we want 100% vaccinated to... Um, you know, it's, it's now required to go to work to now we're rolling it out for five to 12 year olds. Well, what, if you look at that kind of stuff and you look at the attitude of the government towards dissenters and you look at how the lobbyists are influencing the government, by the way, we were talking, a friend of mine was talking to a guy last week that's in kind of an insider in the Ford government here in Ontario. And our government really is being manipulated and led by lobbyists and technocrats. It's not even a functional governing system right now. So when you look at those sorts of things, um, what I think is going to happen is, so you're going to, they're going to get the five to 12 year olds, you're going to get a, a goodly chunk of them vaccinated. And then if I were to guess, well, the next step, the le- next logical step would be to say, okay, well, then you have to be vaccinated to go to school. So then this, this, is, what, this is where people that don't think long-term are going to really be messed up. So there's parents out there that w- would say, okay, you know what? 
I'm 45 years old. I'm going to get vaccinated. It's probably going to be fine. You know, I got a good, strong body. I definitely would want my little kid getting vaccinated, but um, I'm going to get it to go to work. So then you, you get your vaccines to go to work, maybe against your conscience. And then they say, okay, well now your, your children need to be vaccinated to go to school. And you're like, okay, that's my line. I'm not, I'm not crossing that line. Well, now your kids don't have access to education. So you have to now either not educate your children or take responsibility for it. So then you end up quitting your job or reducing your employment anyway to take care of your children who are no longer denied or who are no longer allowed access to public education. So you, 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 you capitulated over here to keep your job, but then you drew the line with your kids and your kids aren't vaccinated. So now they can't go to school. So now you get to quit your job or reduce your employment to educate them anyway. So it's going to catch up to you. Mm -hmm. So the worst case scenario after that would be to say, okay, you have to have the vaccine for your children to go to school. The next step then would be to say, um, if you don't vaccinate your child, you're an unfit parent and we're taking your children from you. Now, if you were to ask me three years ago, would that happen? Three years, I'd say no. But if you were to ask me now, I, th I think there's actually a greater chance that that will happen than won't happen mm -hmm. because I'm plotting the dots on the line. So what's going to happen is some of us that were sort of maybe a little bit more early to see what was happening, we've been consistent in that that's like we're, we, we know what our principles and values are. We will not capitulate. It doesn't matter what the punishment is, the fine is, whatever it might be, we will not capitulate. But those who do capitulate over time will find themselves pushed into a corner where they either have to just completely capitulate all their values and morals, or they're going to have to push back. And frankly, a lot of people aren't going to stand with you because you didn't stand with them. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, with me, I have a, I'm a very, uh, it's probably not a great thing to say in a podcast, but I'll just say it. I am, I am by God's grace, a very forgiving person. Mm -hmm. I don't, hold grudges when people repent. I, I really like forgiving people because I've been forgiven of much. But if someone doesn't stand with us now and they're sort of capitulating to the system and down the road, they find themselves pushed into a corner, I'm not really going to feel sorry for them in all honesty. Um, the people I'm more likely to stand with are the people who have been principled about this from the beginning. But if you want to grow in your ability to predict predict or at least um, maybe predict is not the right word, but to have a sense of where things are going, study history, study human behavior. People are people are people. They tend to repeat patterns of behavior. And um, the trajectory that our country is on is very bad. There might be little, just like this summer when it wasn't so heavy, we had a little more freedom. There might be periods like that where the sun sort of comes through the clouds and we're like, oh, we have a little reprieve, you know, the COVID issues over or whatever it might be. But what's next? What's next after that? And what's next after that? C climate passports, probably forced compliance with the LGBTQ agenda, probably forced compliance with the critical race theory stuff. Probably that's the direction it's going. Mm -hmm. Justin Trudeau has made it very clear. He has a very radical leftist agenda for our country. And as long as he's in power or people are like him in power, it's only going to get worse and worse for people of faith. And so we have to plan ahead. Final word. Um, I am strongly, 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 strongly encouraging every Christian to get out of where possible to get out of employment 
opportunities where you're working for the big corporations or big tech. Mm -hmm. They do not love you. You are, you're just a number. Um, they're the ones that, uh, are going to, um, legislate all this garbage, um, function as agents of the state to, to, to coerce you, to force you to act contrary to your conscience. In the old days, it used to be great to get a job for the city or the state or big corporations. I don't think that's the future for Christian people. But at the same time, I want to strongly encourage people to run for positions of influence. So get involved in municipal, provincial, federal politics. Get onto um, social services boards so you can have a robust influence. So we, we're not talking about a retreatist mindset. We're not retreating from cultural impact. But Christians have to find have to position their lives in such a way that they're not as susceptible to manipulation by the beast, by the state, by antichrist figures. And um, I just don't think we've done a good job thinking through that. So a lot of Christians have really, um, you know, we're all we're all complicit in it. We've acted naively. We've had too much trust in the system. And now we find ourselves, you know, up against the wall and it's like, oh my word, I didn't realize how much of my life is dependent upon godless people. So we need to rebuild a more robust Christian economy and employ one another and um, sort of create a, um, you know, a circle with, um, you know, people on that circle who are medical professionals, business professionals, um, educators, tradesmen that can kind of support one another and, and invest in one another's businesses, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Aaron. I'm sure many of our listeners will hit the rewind button and replay that this episode to uh, kind of cover all those issues. Thank you to each of our listeners for tuning in. Reminder that we're on the CJXC Radio, Canada's constant Christian companion, at 11 a.m. Tuesdays and 11 p.m. Thursdays, as well as the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. You can download their app and listen to this podcast as well as a range of other great podcasts from both American and Canadian sources on there. And so make sure to check that out. And then also make sure to tune in next week to the next episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock. Mm -hmm.